0: Hey, welcome to Seacoast. Can I just say personally, thank you. I've never seen so many people be here at 9 o'clock, and uh, we've actually got some folks looking for seats right now. So come on in, grab a seat. There's plenty down here in the front. Uh, If if you've got empty seats in the middle right here, come on in and, and grab a seat. So thank you so much. So next week, again, on Saturday night, just roll that clock again every saturday night just pretend like you're rolling the clock all right all right pray father god thank you for the chance to be together to study your word wow i pray this morning that you'd help us learn uh god um don't let us uh learn from uh dale or ryan or any teacher Uh, help us learn from you help us listen to your word learn from it be changed by it you do your work And we will uh, just enjoy being with you. So just would you make that your prayer and just kind of kind of whisper to God and say, God, teach me what you want me to learn in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I love the San Diego Zoo. Um, Having moved from out of state and come to California in 1989, it became uh, certainly one of our favorites. It's world class. You know, one of the things I love about it is you can get up close and personal with these creatures, and you can see them uh, in what supposedly is their natural habitat. Now, let's call it what it is. You know, I thank God for cages and fences and moats. Amen? Yeah, you know, because I love to get kind of up close and personal, but at the same time, I'm glad there is a barrier, not only between me and them, but between them and them. You know, for example, when food time comes, feeding time comes, you know how the drill goes. In one way or another, some guy opens a hatch somewhere and uh, plops down a, a fresh load of whatever that creature likes to eat and plops it down in the cage, closes it back, and it's dinner time. And that's their rhythm in the zoo. Now, what if they did it a little differently, though? You know, what if they wanted it to be really more of a real-life experience? Like, for example, our team just got back from Congo or from Tanzania. I was only about two hours away from uh, one of the greatest safari areas in northern Tanzania. Unfortunately, I had no time to play on this trip, so Becky and I didn't do any of that. But what if we had gone to the safari? What's different? What's different seeing those animals at the safari versus the zoo? Answer? No fences. No fences. So dinner time is a little different on a safari, right? Dinner time for the animal is a little bit different. It's not like, oh, I wonder what they're going to serve me today. But instead, the question is, what can I capture today for dinner? So what if the zoo decided to be a little more realistic and uh, dinner time comes, 5 o'clock every day, and they, uh, all the, uh, you know, the, they just tell the pedestrians, watch out, and they throw all the cages open. And for one hour, it is dinner time. See what would happen? Yeah, it would be, I think, a pretty exciting experience. Yeah. But who do you want to be at dinner time at the zoo if they do that? I want to be the lion. I want to be the lion. You know, there's a reason they kind of refer to the lion and a few other animals as the top of the food chain, the top of the food chain. It is a beautiful, powerful creature. And when you're in the jungle and you're at the top of the food chain, you get to be the hunter more than the hunted. You're the master, not the meal. And one of those, one of those great, powerful creatures uh, that God created are the big cats, the lion, especially, king of the jungle. Symbol, therefore, in a lot of literature, the symbol of this wise, powerful, majestic ruler of his domain. It's no surprise that when the Bible talks about Jesus, and when the Bible talks about the Gospel, when the Bible talks about uh, Christ and what he accomplishes, one of the metaphors used is that he is the Lion of Judah. Now the interesting contrast of Jesus and Anyone else who ever lived, is he's also uh, portrayed with a different metaphor. He is the Lamb of God who sacrifices himself. So only Jesus has this unique blending of being the humble lamb that will give himself to be eaten, to be sacrificed, as well as the lion who will reign and rule with power and authority. But today I want to focus especially on that image of Jesus and his message, his gospel, as kind of being the Lion. Because today's passage is a passage in which we're going to come face to face with what I believe is the essence of why Jesus is the lion and why the concept of the gospel, the, what, what Jesus accomplished is, you might say, the king of the jungle of ideas, the king of the jungle of thinking and philosophy and ideas and theology and what, what's the truth about God and man and how do the two of us have a relationship with each other that Jesus and what he accomplished, today we're going to see that that is defined, I believe, most powerfully, most beautifully, by one key word. This word represents the truth that is at the center of the lion who will rule someday. It's at the center of the gospel. It's at the center of what I believe is the top of the food chain when it comes to truth about God. In essence, we're talking, as you can see on the outline, about grace. We're talking about grace. We're talking about grace as the central idea in all of Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. We're going to see that today as we look at three short verses... Ephesians 2, open your Bibles, verses 8 through 10. Three short verses, but also I want to tie those verses back to everything we've studied from chapter 1 and chapter 2 ahead of us. So that's where we're going. Two big ideas of the morning, it's this. That grace is the powerful lion of Scripture. That grace is the lion that if you unleash it, if you just open the cage and let it out, it does two things. It saves us and it sends us. Got that? It saves us without us doing anything and it sends us into a life of purpose and meaning that's a powerful lion called grace here we go open the bible listen to the word of god first it unleashes god's love saving us even with us doing nothing we left off last week with ryan doing a great job of showing us the size of this problem the size of the fact that we are dead in our sins, verses 1 through 3 of this chapter, and that we are dead in our sins and that we are hopeless. And then in verses 4, Ryan, I love that, introduced the big but of Scripture, the biggest, most important but of Scripture, but God, being rich in mercy, by His grace, by grace we are saved, as He pours out His mercy on us, and He saves us, by grace we are saved, in verse 6 and 7. And he says He does this all displaying Uh, The riches of His grace, verse 7, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now why is it the riches of His grace? For, verse 8, now it sets us up. So here we go. Verse 8 says this. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. Pull up right there. What he's saying in essence is this, grace works without works. Grace works without our works because his work, that is the cross, worked. Okay, that's kind of confusing, but just say, it. read it with me. Here we go, here we go, let's read it out. Grace works without our works because his work, the cross, really worked. That because Jesus went to the cross and really did die for my sins, He paid the penalty for my sins. He rose from the dead to prove that He was the sinless Son of God, sent as the Lamb of God to die for our sins, to be resurrected as the King or the Lion of Judah. So Jesus did it, and it really, really worked. It's not just a theological idea. It actually accomplishes offering us forgiveness and life by grace. Now, what is grace? I've defined this for you before, but it's such an important concept. I like to define it best by comparing it to some other common words. So let me kind of compare grace, define it, by comparing it to two other terms. Number one, justice. Most of us say, man, I want justice. And justice is good. God likes justice because God is a just God. Justice, what is that? Justice is getting what you deserve. When I get what I deserve, no more, no less, that's just, right? And God is a just God. Uh, Now we have to remember that part of that is God said the wages or penalty of our sin is Death. So the the God-defined penalty for sin is is death. It's that sense of being separated from God. It's that sense, as Ryan's uh, marker board showed last. Week. I love that, by the way, Ryan. I love the marker board. I want to get me one. I want to get a bigger one. though. I want a bigger marker board. But you know, but but uh, we may have a little marker board envy here. But it, here we go. We want a big one. But justice is getting what you deserve when you were separated from God, outside of 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 His holiness. Uh, because he's holy, we're not. We're separated from God. But when Christ came, he he died for our sins. Therefore, since the penalty for my sin truly was paid. Got that? God can be just, but he can go on to be something else. He can be mercy. Now, what is mercy? Mercy is good. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So when I deserve punishment and someone lets me off, that's mercy. You know, a few years not a few years last year we did a family vacation um actually to to las vegas we like to just go there and play the tables together as a family um that's a joke that's a joke we were not doing that okay but but you know but the resort was cheap okay resort was cheap weather was nice pool was good so we took all of our grandchildren there just to have fun as a family so what's mom and dad doing we're driving to costco in our car in order to to stock up and feed the clan now i'm feeding 15 people right so i'm going on a big shopping trip to costco i've never been to costco in vegas i'm on the freeway driving and i'm just following the guy in front of me and and becky's reading the gps thing telling me where to get off the freeway and i'm just trying to be safe and drive smart and all of a sudden i have flashing lights in my rearview mirror and it was at one of Nevado's best, <laughs> servants of God and government. So they pulled me over and this, this policeman came up to the door and he pulls me over and he says, sir, do you know what you were doing? I said, you know, I was just kind of following the car in front of me. I, I don't think I was speeding, but my guess is I was speeding or you wouldn't have stopped me. And I'm very sorry. I was really bitter, humble like Jesus. Get out of the ticket. Okay, so my motive, my motive was terrible, but my action was great. So I'm, I'm telling the, the, the policeman this. And I'm thinking, he's, I mean, California plates in town. And he said, well, actually, sir, you know, you were going like 80 and um, speed limit 65. So he gets all my information, takes my cards, blah, 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 steps back to his car, runs my info. And hopefully something popped up on the internet and said, give this guy a break. <laughs> you know, because un- it's never happened to me like this. But he comes back to the and he says, so, do you know the mistake you made? And I said, well, I guess I was going too fast. He said, no, the mistake you made was you followed the guy in front of you. Whatever he did, you did. He was going too fast, so you went too fast. He said, don't do that. I said, yes, sir. I'll never follow that jerk again. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. I didn't say that, you know, but I'll never do that again. And he hands me back my license and says, have a good vacation with your family. And I'm thinking, this man is an angel from God. Because I don't think Nevada police ever do that. What did he give me? No, no, no. He didn't give me. He didn't give me. He did not give me grace. He gave me mercy. <clears throat> I was speeding. Deserved the ticket. He let me off. And the reason I share that story is I want you to see the difference in grace and mercy. So he gave me mercy. Mercy is a good thing. Mercy is a God thing. God is a God of mercy. Being rich in his mercy, he saved us. But then he goes on to say by grace, we have been saved through faith so now you got a contrast what's the difference in mercy and grace grace is getting what you do not deserve it's a gift in fact you do nothing to earn it nothing to deserve it and it's or it's even getting the opposite of what you deserve i've heard that definition so that is grace so grace goes beyond justice. Grace goes beyond mercy because grace gives me the opposite of what I deserve. What would grace have been on the street, on the streets of Nevada? It would have been if the policeman pulled me over and said, you know, Mr. Burke, I'm sorry you were speeding. You're going 80. The fine for that is $259. And I, I just want to bless your vacation. So he pulls out his wallet. He counts out $259 and gives it to me. That would be grace. It's giving me what I don't deserve, giving me the opposite of what I do deserve. And that's what Jesus Christ does. So when you read grace, when we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound, da-da-da-da-da-da, da-da, da-da, we need as Christians to understand the depth of that term, that it's getting the opposite of what you deserve or getting what you do not deserve. It's receiving a gift. If you do anything to earn it, it is a wage. It's not grace. Read Romans chapter 4 if you want to study that this week a little more. But I just wanted you to see the clarity of what he means when he says, Wow, but God, being rich in mercy, did this for by grace, verse 8, you have been saved through faith. The only thing God asks us to do is place our trust, our faith in what Christ did. That's all we're asked to do, period, plus nothing, no good works, In fact, he goes on to say, not as a result of our works, lest any of us should maybe have a reason to boast. So grace is that undeserved gift. Second big idea from the outline, if you want to follow, is that grace is a divine, unique, out-of-this-world idea. You do not find it in other religions. People that think Christianity is just one of many good religions, pick your favorite, understand grace is the distinctive, the uniqueness of Christianity. I read a quote by C.S. Lewis that was talking about the uniqueness of grace. And the book went on to say this. Let me just, this is so powerful, I want to pop it on the screen so you can see the power of the words. He says, the notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. Then he lists them off. The Buddhists have their eightfold path to God. The Hindus, their doctrine of karma. The Jews, the covenant. The Muslims, the code of law. Each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. That's grace. So when we talk about what makes us unique as followers of Jesus, what makes Jesus so unique as the Lion of Judah, what makes the concept of the gospel so powerful, it's to really understand. This is not the starting point of your religious experience. This is not like grace kind of opens the door. Now, you've got to do some good works to earn your salvation. This is not about going to church, being a good Christian, doing any of this stuff in order to get into heaven. This is saying Jesus Christ paid your penalty. And if you put your faith in him, he gives it to you by grace as a free gift. A few uh, couple years ago, I did another sermon on this and I, I use this diagram, if it looks familiar, I'm going to rob it from a previous message, because there's really only two approaches to God. And this is why when you talk with people about your faith and you share the gospel in Christ, this is a great little thing to memorize, just to show them. Because people all the time say to me, you know, I'm so glad, Dale, you're a Christian. Everybody's got to have some element of faith in their life. I think that's healthy for the culture, for society. You know, but you know, in, in the, kind of at the bottom line, kind of all religions are pretty much the same. And, and that sounds like a, it's a very politically popular thing to say. But here is the fact. There's only two approaches to God if you boil all religions down. The story, the message, and the offer is different. The story, under it's either a works-based religion or a grace-based relationship, really. I would change that word from religion to relationship. It's a grace-based relationship with God. Or it's a religion, that is a faith, that is grace-based versus works-based. The story the story of most religion is religion is there to help you climb your way to god there's often in most religions the symbol of steps toward god and you take these different steps as you do these good works or there's a ladder to god or there's some way it's man climbing up to god christianity is god climbing down to man to a cross the message is you step up or you die in most religion shape up step up or you're in trouble The message of Christianity is, I will step down and die for you. See the contrast? The offer is different. The offer of most works-based religion is it offers you a spiritual lift. In other words, let me give you a spiritual boost, whereas Christianity says, no, we are dead in our sins. We can do nothing to save ourselves, but we will give you the gift of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Big difference. Big difference. Religion tries to recharge your spiritual batteries. But dead men don't need a boost, they need life. Religion tries to renew you. And religion can help renew you. But you don't need renewal, you need resurrection. And there's a big difference. So I just want you to see that when we talk about grace, the gospel of grace, and we talk about the power of it, this is why I think the gospel, this message that, wow, God did that, is a powerful, powerful message that is like a lion that we cage it up in the, re- in the, re- in the cages of religion. We cage it up in the, in the trappings of tradition in christianity. and christianity and by the time we finish dr- dressing it up in our different versions of christianity if we're not careful we actually kind of keep it in its cage and we even think you know i kind of need to protect it because the world doesn't believe it so maybe i can defend it and protect it you know I, I, and, and there's nothing wrong with apologetics or defending the faith But I ran across a quote by Charles Spurgeon that kind of inspired the very title of this message, which is Grace Unleashed. And here's what he had to say about the gospel. I love this. This is Charles Spurgeon. I think he made this statement, 1886. You may have heard this attributed to others. I've heard it attributed to many other pastors, teachers down through the centuries. Uh, the research I did, at least, actually my wife did this research. Can I give you her credit? Where is she? She's out to her class. But Becky actually looked this up for me this week and documented that Spurgeon was the first to really use the metaphor that we can find. Here's what he wrote. He said, a great many learned men are defending the gospel. And no doubt, it's a very proper and right thing to do. Yet I always notice that when there are most books of that kind, that is in defense of the gospel, it is because the gospel itself perhaps is not being preached. Suppose a number of persons were to take it into their heads that they were to defend uh, a lion, a full-grown king of the beasts. There he is in the cage. And here come all the soldiers to fight for him, defend him. Well, I would suggest to them, if they would not object and feel that it was humbling, uh, that they should kindly just stand back, open the door, and let the lion out. I believe that it would be the best way of defending him for he would take care of himself. The best apology for the gospel is to let the gospel out. The best apology for the gospel is to let the gospel out. Preach Jesus Christ and him crucified and let the lion out and see who will dare approach him. That's good stuff. You see, Jesus Christ, uh, our culture, our society can question him, doubt him, not believe in him. They can challenge uh, what we teach and what we believe, but often, from my experience, they're really not challenging this truth of grace because they've never heard it. See, it's easy in today's world to put christianity alongside of other religions and say you know we all have our do's and don'ts and uh... we all have some different lists but at the root of it it's all about each of us using whatever religion we believe in to work our way climb our way up to god that's a lie when we do that it's like putting the gospel of christ in a cage Where it can't hurt anybody. But also can't help anybody. I like Spurgeon. Let the lion out. Jesus will take care of himself. The gospel of grace. Is a powerful. Force in our lives. It offers forgiveness and salvation. To people that don't deserve it. People like you. And me who don't deserve it it offers hope it offers something it offers faith hope and love it offers something to believe that's faith that's true it offers hope that's something to 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 uh, dream of and and anticipate in the future it offers eternal hope and then it offers love because it offers the unconditional love of god available free as a gift and that is the most powerful thing that really i believe takes It takes our faith and makes it like a lion. Makes it like a lion. Second truth, though, and that is grace in this short verse, it begins by just acknowledging the power of grace to save without us doing anything. It protects itself. It does the work. It can do it without us. Okay? So believe it, embrace it, and then begin to live knowing that you are loved by God unconditionally just as you are embrace that that's the power of grace to change us but then the power of grace doesn't just change us save us the power of grace goes further in verse 10 check this out he says for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them now you see the contrast Because he goes out of his way in verses 8 and 9 to say, your good works are not needed, period. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not as a result of, say it with me, not as a result of works that anyone should boast. And then he flips it and he says, for God has in saving us, we are his workmanship created in Christ for Good works that we would live in them and walk in them. Let me break it down, draw four quick observations, and then we're going to move into communion. Four observations. Number one, you're empowered by grace. So when we do good works, we begin to, out of our love for Jesus Christ, begin to serve him, begin to do good works, begin to be changed in the way we live and treat people. And and, you know, as we do that, first of all, stay humble because it's by his grace that you do that. It is his workmanship. We are his workmanship. We don't recreate ourselves. He does it. Created in Christ Jesus, next. We are his workmanship. Underline that word. Created in Christ for good works. Number two, we are custom made by grace. So it gives us the freedom to be ourselves. Man, this I love this. I kind of grew up in a, in a form of Christianity in church that kind of had an image that every Christian kind of looked alike, dressed alike, wore their hair alike, you know, and you know what I mean? And they were just all, you know, kind of, I call it frumpy Christianity, you know, but whatever. But, you know, but it was just, it was just this image that, you know, good Christians do this and that. And, you know, it, it, it was, it was very rules driven, very, everyone needs to look and act exactly the same. Now, there are areas of sin that are clear in Scripture that we're not supposed to do. So I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about lifestyle. I'm talking about who you are. And I love the fact that it says grace uh, has custom made you. <coughs> the, uh, the word it says, says we, are, we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works. Those words are fascinating. In, in the Greek language there, uh, the word for created in Christ Jesus, and being his workmanship, uh, the word is used for a, a woven fabric or product. Uh, it's a Greek word that, that um, it can be translated created, but probably it's better translated fabricated. So you are his handiwork, fabricated in Christ for good works. You are like a tapestry, a unique, one-of-a-kind. There's not another one like you on the planet, tapestry, that God has woven things into your life. And He wants to use those things to craft you, create you, as as a tool that He can use for good works for Him and for His kingdom. So every one of us are free to be different. That's so great. You're all different. I'm different. You have gifts and abilities that I don't have. I have gifts and experiences and abilities that you don't have. All of us even have painful things in our lives that we've gone through. And God wants to redeem and use those dark, painful parts of our lives to kind of weave us into a person that experiences grace, experiences the unconditional love of God first, and then so we are then saved by His grace, but then we are sent by his grace to do good works to make a difference. But you do it in your own way I, I love the uniqueness this allows for Christians to have where apart from things clear that are clearly in scripture uh, identified as sin which we need to encourage one another to stay away from that. But apart from that we can we can have a lot of different hobbies and habits and you know our dress and and our you know and this or that it's it's we're free we're free so get rid of the rules unless they're found in the word of God and give each other more freedom to be the person that God has created us to be because that how he helps he helps us to reach the real world and to let them know that you know you come and experience grace by grace you are saved and you're free to be different that's the beauty of the body of Christ We are empowered by grace, so be humble. We're custom made by grace, so be yourself. Good news. Number three, you're called by grace, so then be available to get at it and do some good works. He does say we're created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand, even before we were born. God looked down through time and knew us and saw us and had a plan for us. And God prepared these that we should walk in them. So we are saved not only from something, but for something. Big difference. See, I'm saved from a lot of stuff in my life. I thank God that I was spared from experiencing a lot of painful stuff because the grace of God came to me early on in life as a kid. I'm thankful for that. No matter when you come to Christ, though, there's always stuff in your background that God saves you from. But then he also saves all of us for something. Isn't that great? I think a lot of people today are looking for a for something part of life. You know, why am I on planet Earth? You know, is my only goal in life to lower my carbon footprint? Now, I'm not I'm not against being ecologically wise. We should be better stewards of the environment. So let's all try to lower our carbon footprint. But you know something? If that's all I'm on planet Earth to do, I could lower my carbon footprint by just checking out. Then I wouldn't burn any more carbon. The planet would be better off. But God doesn't want me to do that. He has purpose. And the purpose is good works that flow out of my relationship with Jesus Christ so that I can help this planet and its people experience the lion. The lion of Jesus, the lion of grace so therefore be available say God what can I do I'll tell you one thing you could do right now I know both of our youth ministries because I talked to them this week junior high high school and let me throw in kids ministry they're all looking for people to volunteer to help change the lives of a kid by loving on students so if you ever were a student anytime in your life how many of you at some point went to school raise your hand how many of you are like totally uneducated raise your hand okay how many of you just i don't like to raise hands raise your hand <laughs> oh, i got you okay yeah okay yeah i know that okay so here's the deal i know our student ministry needs help they want some people of various ages that want to invest some time and energy in the lives of our teenagers in the lives of our students same thing with kids same thing in serving anywhere from our coffee ministry to our Love Encinitas ministry all of our ministries are looking for people that want to say how can I use the uniqueness of me to help make the kingdom of God grow I think that's exciting that's exciting last but not least is the phrase he says in these good works that God planned for all of us he did it that we might walk in them I I just wanted to underline that emphasis because when he says that we would walk in them, what he's saying is these good works are not about religious activity. They're about a changed lifestyle. Anytime you see the word walk in Ephesians, it's talking about lifestyle. It's not talking about add another activity to your list of things you do when you go to church. It's talking about walking daily. It's a metaphor that is used in the Bible for your daily living in a relationship with God, saved by grace, sent to do good works. Saved by the lion who needed no help to defend himself and to forgive your sin and to set you free. The lion, Jesus, on the cross did it without your help. But he did it to send us saved and sent by grace if you get that i think it changes not just the way i approach my sunday worship it should change the way you approach your monday worship when you go to work And i don't mean your monday morning quiet time it changes everything so that when you go to work you go to school as a student you go to to be a mom or a parent in your neighborhood whatever you do on your monday your monday thing your tuesday thing That becomes an act of worship as you say to God, God, use me, send me. But don't send me necessarily to Congo or Tanzania. That may be where God wants to send you, like our team that just got back. But I'm talking about send me to work, to school, Monday morning, that I might be the presence of Jesus Christ, do the works of Jesus Christ in response to the grace of Jesus Christ. It's lifestyle. I think that's when life gets fun. That's when life gets fun. So how do I get started? Uh, I just wanted to remind you that Ephesians, this is heavy. You ready? Ephesians 3, 8 was preceded by Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, 8, excuse me, (laughs) was preceded by Ephesians chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 7. Because what we've been teaching you for the last several weeks is, who am I? Don't forget what we've already studied. If you haven't been here, go back and listen to the sermons. But grace is unleashed in my life when I first remember every day when I get out of bed, who am I? And I embrace this new person that I am in Jesus Christ. That I am a new creation in Christ. Remember in chapter 1, we unpacked these three big truths. Here they are in a diagram, boom. That you are secure in Christ, adopted and loved by your Father into the family of God. You are adopted into a relationship with Almighty God by Jesus Christ, by His grace. Secondly, you have significance. You are redeemed by the Son. You're so precious that Jesus Christ gave His life for you. Verses 7 through 12. So you have purpose. You have significance. And that's why Ephesians 2.10 is there. You're created not just from your sin, but for good works. And then thirdly, you have competence. As Bill Buchanan taught you while we were in Africa, verses 13 and 14, you are indwelt by the very Spirit of God so that God empowers you to do these good works it's not about you just trying harder but walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ and his spirit that lives in you you have security significance and competence that you never would have apart from Jesus remember embrace that every day when you get out of bed and then secondly embrace the second half which is why am I and explore this new calling of walking in good works And how can I? Well, you connect to the Spirit of God and the family of God. That's a very subtle truth in the passage we've been studying. It's kind of interesting. It begins with this For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God. And then verse 10 says, For we, it changes from you to we, meaning all of us, as a body of believers. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works. Not only are you a unique individual, but we as a church are a unique body, expression of Jesus Christ, sent to love Encinitas, love Africa, to go wherever God sends us, local, global, to love our world toward Jesus. That's what this is all about. We're going to move into a time of communion and uh, as I talk this through with Paige, we want to, as the band comes to lead us, um, we want to give you some more time to just reflect on this incredible truth today. I love the fact that grace is like a lion. It's like a lion. Don't cage it in religion. Open the door. Let grace have its way with you. It won't hurt you. I think it was C.S. Lewis, I think, or Tolkien, which was it? Ryan knows all these guys. Who said, see if you don't know this, who said that Jesus isn't safe, but he's good. Do you know that? Lewis, thank you. I knew your wife would know that. See, all of us pastors get the best nuggets from our wives, and it just came out. Thank you, Sarah. Okay. Yeah. Jesus isn't safe but he's good see a lion who has the heart of Jesus Christ that's what you want in your life let his grace let Christ remind you of the life he's given us that he has saved us by grace but he's also sent us by grace what I want to do is ask you to just reflect and read this verse one more time Uh, not the prayer but go back to the verse the verse there we go uh, one slide earlier and i want you to personalize this for by grace i have been saved would you just meditate that on as i read that for by, and, and think put yourself right in there for by grace i have been saved through faith and not of myself it is the gift of god not as a result of my works so that i should not boast for i am in i am his workmanship I'm created in Christ Jesus for my own good works, which God has prepared for me beforehand so that I might walk in them. But it's true for you as a part of this church family, too. Let me show you how it switches. For by grace, we have been saved, all of us, through faith. That not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that we should not boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared before us, prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. So as you take communion, I just want you to take a few minutes and reflect on this truth one more time. This is your story. If you have come to faith in Christ, this is your story. This is your truth. If you've never trusted Christ, I'd like to take just a moment now and invite you to uh, pray with me. Because if you want this to be your story, but you say, wow, it's not mine yet, then pray with me now. Okay, Father God, thank you for the incredible truth of who we are in Christ, the incredible truth of grace. How it saves us with none of our help. How it sends us uh, to do good works, to make a difference. Father, if we have a friend here this morning who's come and and they say, wow, I just kind of thought it was about religion. I thought it was about me trying to be a good enough Christian to earn something. Would you pray with me and say, uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the free gift of life in Jesus. I put my trust, my faith in him today. And I ask you to help me to live aware of this amazing gift every single day of my life. And then let me be aware of the opportunities that you create me for that I might do good works in response to your grace. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to give you some time to um, just uh, sit alone and pray. We're not going to sing um, during communion. We're going to, as we often do here, allow you to go when you're ready and receive communion at one of the four tables around the room. We wanted to add one little element that is optional for you so if you're not comfortable doing this that's okay you can stay in your seat if you want to go and receive communion and come back and have it by yourself that's okay. But I know a lot of us are encouraged when we pray for one another. So instead of singing I'd love to fill the room with the sound of you praying for a friend. So we're going to invite you to approach the tables with a friend. Uh, family and let me show you a prayer that if you say well Dale, I don't know how to pray for one another then here's a prayer that kind of reflects what we've been talking about this morning feel free to just read it meditate on it feel free to literally say I'd like to pray this prayer for you Uh, so you go to the table partake of the elements uh, by yourself or with a friend then I would invite you just to pray this prayer out loud for one another and encourage one another with the great truth of grace. Father, use this time now to encourage us as we reflect on what you did on the cross for us, as we partake of communion to express our faith in your work on the cross. And as we pray for one another, let it be prayers of encouragement that we might live in response to your grace. In Christ's name, amen.